Okay, we're continuing our series through the Psalms, Songs of Life, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 7 today. If you would need a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand and they'll get you one. Keep your hand up as we move to Psalm chapter 7. Where is this thing? This thing's not working. So, Psalm chapter 7. Oh, there we go. Okay. Stop it, Sam. Okay. Let's read the psalm, and then we'll go through it together. As I was going through the psalms, you know, I'm trying to pick ones out that stand out in some of the things that they are talking about, as well as ones that just grip my heart. Remember, these are songs. They're not meant to be exclusively just theological information. They are meant to be things that provoke our emotion, that grip our attention, that cause us to be able to focus on the things of God in a way that stirs us. And so Psalm chapter 7 says, Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord, my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled people gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God, who probe minds and hearts. My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge. God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praise of the name of the Lord Most High. Some haunting pictures in this psalm, some incredible illustrations and just how the psalmist is proclaiming these things. And as he starts off, he starts off, Lord, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Save and deliver. That's kind of a common cry. That's a common prayer. I mean, it might not just be save or deliver. It might be something like help. Oh, God, help me. Anyone ever prayed anything like that? Oh, more than you have prayed than that. Okay, thank you for the honest hand there. It's not an uncommon prayer to say, save me, Lord, and help. But you see, 
There are important things that need to be in place if we expect God to hear and to help. It's not like any time you cry out and just say, help me, God, God says, oh, okay, I'm obligated to help. It's not the genie, you rub the magic lamp, you say in Jesus' name, and God is like, oh, I'm obligated now to help you. There are requirements that are there. And David goes through some of these and he lists these things, but the framework is really important. I'll give you an example of what I mean. And since my mom's not here right now, I can use her as an example. When I was 10 years old, my mom slapped me across the face. Now, let me tell you the whole story. (laughs) It was a Saturday, and my mom took me to the store because I asked her for some water balloons because the kids in the neighborhood were having a water balloon fight. And so I don't know what my mom was doing. I didn't really care because I was 10 years old and I was a boy and I wanted to play with the water balloons and the neighbors. And so I made my mom go and she did very happily, went to help me. We went to the store, we bought some water balloons and then we came back to the house. And actually, yeah, I might have been 10, might have been a little younger actually thinking back now. It was a long time ago. And we got back to the house And I was having a hard time making water balloons because they were really stiff and I had to put them on the bathroom faucet and I wasn't able to do it. And the kids are outside playing and I'm getting very frustrated because fun is happening outside my door and I am not there. I can hear them laughing and carrying on. It's like Disneyland outside and I'm in this bathroom. And so my mom came to help me because she saw my frustration. And so she gave of herself, came into the bathroom and started helping me. And she started filling up one of the water balloons. And as she was filling it up, all of a sudden she took it off and it dropped into the sink and it kind of went all over the place because it fell. And I looked to her and I said, you stupid idiot. I don't remember much after that. (laughs) But I do remember this shape of a hand on the side of my cheek. And you see, framework is really important to the story. If I just tell you my mom slapped me, you think, oh, that's terrible. If I tell you the whole story, you think, you're terrible. And it's real important that we understand this framework. And so in the first two verses, David makes his request known. These people are out to get him. But he also, in verse 3 and 4, goes on, or 3 to 5, that talks about just this justice. It's like, Lord, I want you to do what's right. And if I'm not in the right, then may they have their way with me. There is a retrospect that's taking place as he examines his own heart and he says i i really mean this if i have done anything wrong my god if i have done this and there is guilt on my hands if i have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe then let my enemy pursue me and overtake me there's something that we need to key in on here because he says my ally 
And what this psalm is, is a psalm of being betrayed. It's a psalm of treachery. When one of David's people turned on him. And so he's saying, if I were to do something like that, may I get what I deserve. And so the framework of God's helping is for you to be or for me to be or whoever God is helping to be in a place where they should be helped. Where the truth of the matter is being rightly proclaimed. Because we have a way of tainting things and even when we are in the wrong, we expect others to cater to what we want. We do that as people. We become blind like me as a a young boy. I I didn't care that my mom took her time to drive me to the store. I didn't care that my mom was taking that opportunity to help me. All I cared about is that she dropped my water balloon. And my actions were justly rewarded. And we see that that's taking place here with David. And he goes on and he says, Arise, in verse 5, Lord, in your anger, raise up against my enemies. Bring this rage. God, show up in this betrayal, in this injustice, when they are trying to devour me. I want you to rise up. I want you to show up in my stead here. And then in verse 8, we see that there is a vindication. The Lord indeed has risen as he acknowledges these things. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness. And, and so now he's saying, if I'm doing what's right, then let that righteousness be what comes out. Justify me, defend me in this place where I am right. According to my integrity. Now, he's not boasting here. There's, a, again, a declaration that this is the right thing to do. You see, my mom had the right to deal with me. And to my mom's credit, she that's the only time I can ever remember her spanking me or striking me. The only time. And I deserved it a lot more. At least once or twice. Won't go into those stories. You see, she had the right to ask and do these things that she did because of my action towards her. And David is saying, God, I'm in the right place. Defend me in this place of integrity. I'm not doing anything wrong, so make the right that I am doing come to bear. Help it stand out. And isn't that something we desire? When you're hurt, when someone betrays you, when someone hurts you, what you want, what I want, is for the truth of the situation to come out, especially if you're right. If you're wrong, you're not so interested in it. But if you're right, what you want to do is allow those things to come up. You want someone to acknowledge where you are and the hurt that's been done to you. And so David is pleading to God 
that he would do these things. And in verse 9, he says, bring an, to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. Bring an end to the violence and wickedness. This is a cry, I think, of all of us. There are times when you'll see something take place, like the tragedy in New York, where there are children who were shot down and the injustice and the crime of that violence just tears you apart. When you see the things that are happening, injustices around the world, there's a cry that I think all of us have where we just want to end the wickedness, end the violence. Stop this. And it's a cry that all of us have. It's something that we desire. We want to see things made right. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 22 and 23. We live in a world that has issues. And in Romans Romans 8, verse 22, Paul talks about some of these issues. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I figure I'll keep childbirth in here with all the dedications and babies here. We'll keep it a theme for a while. And so with groaning as pains of childbirth right up to the present time, not only so, but we ourselves who have been the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And so Paul is saying creation itself is groaning. It's... In the travails of childbirth, there is pain waiting for there to be justice, waiting for things to be made right, waiting for this delivery to take place. I remember our first babies that were born, the two of them, when we went in, and I I like how I say our, I remember when we had our babies, yeah, I was in there. We went in the delivery section and... You know, she was in labor, and this was our first time. We didn't know what labor was like. She thought she was just having like a stomach ache because she had like a chili dog or something. And she was thinking, I think it's okay. And then my sister-in-law says, no, you're having labor pains because it kept happening like every four minutes or something like that. And my wife said, no, I think it's going to be okay. And she goes, no, you need to go to the hospital. So we go to the hospital. Sure enough, we're in labor. We're, <laughs> we're in labor. It was tough, I'm telling you. And, and so we're there, and we're in labor, and... We're sitting in this bedroom. They got the monitor going on her. And then down the hall, we hear some lady. The scream comes out. And we're like horrified. And I'm thinking, is this a sign of things to come? You know, what's going to happen? And my wife is there and she's kind of terrified now. It's like, what is that about? You know, because she's not feeling that pain right now. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on with that pain, that that labor is starting to get intense and pretty soon my wife i could tell she's putting up the brave face and she's a tough cookie and she's sitting there and she's like grimacing I'm like are you okay and she goes, no i'm in pain and i'm like okay and uh, you know what, okay 
And so I'm watching the monitor take place, you know, because when she goes in to have a contraction, this thing starts going up. And so I'm watching the machine, and I'm like, oh, you're having one. You're having one right now. She's like, I know I'm having one. You, know? <laughs> you don't have to tell me I'm having one, you know. And the labor pains get intense, and pretty soon it becomes more intense. And pretty soon she's groaning. Because the pain of holding this child in, it's not meant to stay in her womb. It has to be delivered. And we're living in a creation that has to be delivered. We're waiting for redemption. And so we do cry out with the psalmist, bring an end to the violence. Bring an end to the wickedness. There is going to be a day when God does bring an end. When no more children are abused or taken advantage of or sold into sex trafficking, there's going to be a day when no more women are physically abused. There's going to be a day when the injustices that take place stop. There's going to be a day when there is redemption. When this prayer is answered and the violence and the wickedness stops. There is going to be a day, and not only does creation long for it, but we long for it. There's going to be a day when no more hearts are broken or are betrayed, where there is no more devastation caused because of the things that people do to other people. And we look and desire for that day to come. We want that day to come. The psalmist goes on back in verse 10 and exclaims that God is the shield most high who saves the upright in heart. There it is again, the framework. God is there to help those who are moving into the place where they should be, the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. Now, isn't that strange? A righteous judge who displays his wrath every day. It's like, does that make you comfortable or uncomfortable? Well, it depends on where you are. You see, if you're a good kid and you don't tell your mom she's a stupid idiot, then it's a good thing. But if you aren't, well, then the wrath comes and it needs to come. And as it takes place, there is the dealing with these things. And it goes on in, in verse 12, it says, if he does not relent or repent, in other words, if that person that is doing that injustice does not repent, he will sharpen, the Lord will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow, he has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. Now, this is just an incredible picture and kind of terrifying have God sharpening a sword. How sharp a sword does God have? How accurate is God with that bow? I imagine he's pretty accurate. Those are the things that God will do to bring about this justice. And then verse 14 is really the verse that captured me as I was reading through this. It says, whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth 
to disillusionment. What a tremendous picture this is. The idea of being pregnant with evil is just haunting. That's like one of those movies. You know, there was Rosemary's Baby, and I know they have other ones there. It's just pregnant with evil. It's like there's something evil within you that's going to be birthed. And what happens is as it's birthed, it conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment or lies, falsehood. And you see, there is a path that evil will always take. There is a road that you are on if these things are within you. It's going to be trouble and it's going to be lies or disillusionment. If you are conceiving things that are against the right standards of God, then you are going to give birth to trouble and disillusionment. Jesus said it like this, you will reap what you sow. Jesus talked about these things constantly. You know, how many lives have had the bottom fall out because of them conceiving things that were done in evil? How many people have laid to waste others because what they conceived was evil and it brought trouble And then they were left living a lie. This is a haunting reality that we have to recognize. That you can't escape who you are and the things that you do. That you go with you wherever you are. And what we want to do many times is live the life that we want to live that involves the things that maybe aren't good that actually are giving birth, conceiving this evil thing, but then we want the righteous standard of God to bend the rules for us. God, I know I'm doing this and I know I'm acting this way, but hey, it's me. Cut me some slack. And, you know, there becomes this idea of entitlement. Well, I, I'm a, I go to church, so I'm entitled to a good life. Well, how are you living your life? Are, are you conceiving those things that are evil? Then you're going to give birth to trouble and disillusionment. It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It matters what you're conceiving. And it's just a haunting picture of what we reap or we reap what we will sow. It's how it's going to be. What qualifies for evil is also an important thing. Because all these things that are declared here in the psalm against those who are doing evil, the enemy, what it is is treachery towards a person. You see, evil isn't just an action that you did. God isn't about trying to get you to stop doing actions. What God is concerned about is your interaction with people. That's where the evil takes place. You see, because when you do something that is, quote, evil, when you sin, you don't do it just against yourself. 
It always involves another person. And what God cares about is the treachery that is taking place towards another person. And this shows up in so many ways. It shows up in little things and it shows up in huge things. It shows up in little attitudes that we have when we snap at someone, when we think little of someone and so we degrade them in our thinking. We put them down in our minds or think ourselves better than them. That's a treachery that's taking place. That's evil. That's going to give birth to trouble and disillusionment. You really think you're better? You see, it, it starts with how you deal with and treat other people. That's what this whole psalm is about. It's about your interaction with that other person and how you are supposed to treat them as opposed to how you are treating them. It would be a mistake to believe that God's concern ended with just stopping the wickedness or the violence. What God is concerned about is how what we do affects other people. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Verses 37 and 38. Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with what measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, it's kind of funny, this verse, how we interpret it. When we see, don't judge lest you'll be judged. Like, hold on to that one. Can't judge me. You don't judge me. Hey, don't judge me. No one judges me but God or something like that, you know. But you see, the whole point of this verse isn't to justify you that no people would judge you. The whole point of this is to say how you treat other people is how God is going to treat you. Oh my gosh. Think about that. How you treat other people is how God is going to treat you. There is a direct connection. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. If you are judgmental, condescending, guess what? And how you act and the things that you do, that's how God is going to deal with you. This isn't a maybe. This is a declaration. This is the heart of what God really cares about is how we treat other people. And so this is where the treachery takes place. This is where the battle takes place. I, I, I've shared this story before, but it's the one that comes prominent to my mind when I deal with myself and how I treat other people. When I used to do music years ago and I played guitar and I led the music team at the church, there was one gentleman, an older gentleman, who used to stand at the back while we'd be practicing. And he would stand in the back like this. Yeah, that was really encouraging. And his name was Ed, and I would say, Ed, what's wrong? And he would say, this is how he would respond. He says, the music is deafening. 
not deafening, deafening. Am I killing you? He said, you're killing me. That was his subtle way of telling me he didn't like the music that we were playing. And Ed was a unique character. And I can remember looking at Ed and thinking, why don't you just go out in the hallway? Okay, you don't have to be here and stand here so I look at you doing this while I'm practicing. And I'd get an attitude. I I would. I know it's hard to believe, huh, me? I would get this attitude and I would just think, you know, who do you think you are? You know, what do you listen to anyway? You know, I mean, it's probably, what kind of music do you listen to? I mean, the music we're playing, it's current, it's happening, it's good. Yeah, no self-esteem problems here. And I can remember distinctly God speaking into my heart and saying, you better watch out. How you treat Ed is how you treat me. And I remember that, oh gosh, oh, okay, okay. All right, smile. It's okay, it's okay, breathe. (laughs) Thank you, Ed. I appreciate the criticism. Okay, I can do this. And Ed was a diabetic. And there were a few times where he would have a seizure and he would fall in and there was more than a couple of times where we actually had to call paramedics to help him. There was a couple of times, probably about four times, where Ed would have a seizure. He wouldn't be able to come out and so we would have to get him some orange juice. We actually kept orange juice in one of the refrigerators just for Ed. And I can remember one morning, it was a Tuesday morning, the men's were having a, a men's Bible study, and I was there early because I was leading at this time, and Ed was there setting up, and I was in my office getting things ready, and I came out, and there was Ed on the floor. He had a seizure, and I had to run to the refrigerator, and I had called 911, and I got Ed, and I cradled him, and I had his head in my lap, and I started pouring orange juice in him, and just, come on, Ed, come on, you can drink it, you can drink it. Paramedics came, he finally came to. That was just another episode with Ed. It still didn't change that he didn't like my music. I went to a trip to Wales, and as I went to Wales, I found out that Ed had passed away. That he had, blood sugar went down and he actually he died. And when I looked back at Ed... My fondest memories are the fact that I got to hold him in my arms, cradle him, and give him orange juice. Because in my mind, I did that to Jesus. In my mind, I felt like the Lord was saying, thank you for caring about me. And so how we treat people is at the core of what this is talking about it's about betrayal. God, they're betraying me. I'm doing what is right. Deal with them according to what they're doing. If I were to act that way, God, deal with me. But they're conceiving evil and it's going to give birth to trouble and disillusionment. But there's one key verse that takes place and it's in verse 12. It says... If, if he does not relent, if he does not turn around, 
if he doesn't relinquish this attitude, then comes judgment. And you see, what that tells me is there is the possibility of relenting. What it tells me is that God is open to a change, but if the change doesn't take place, guess what? How you are treating this person is how I will deal with you. And if we want to know what the will of God is, think of how it is that you treat other people. How do you deal with them? Because with what measure you meet out to them, it's going to be measured to you. And so if you act like a snotty-nosed brat, don't be surprised if you get slapped. It's what happens when you act this way. If you live a life that is using people, don't be disillusioned when there's trouble. You gave birth to it. And if you want to know what God desires, how God has treated you is how you are to treat other people. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That's what God desires of us. How do you do Justly, it has to do with your interaction with people. How do you love mercy? It has to do with your interaction with other people. And walking humbly is a recognition that how I deal with these people is how God is going to deal with me. And so may we take this warning from this psalm and understand that God is sharpening his sword And it's not because I'm going to get you. You better watch out. If you don't relent, then this is the justice. If you don't stop acting that way, this is what is in store for you because God is going to bring an end to the violence. He is going to bring an end to the wickedness. And the violence and wickedness begins with how we treat other people. And if we detach ourselves from that, I don't care if you call yourself a Christian. If you're mean to people, you're just a mean person and God is going to deal with you unless you relent. It's amazing when I hear how much knowledge some people have in the Bible. It's like, man, you really know the Bible. Yes, I've been studying it for years. Why are you such a jerk? Anyone relate to that? Can anyone understand what I'm saying? It's like, oh my gosh. And you can't detach those things. So let's not be jerks. Let's not get slapped. Let's relent or repent if that is our attitude towards other people. If you are using people, stop it. And understand how you treat others is exactly how God is going to treat you. 
So I want you to think of the person you are doing the worst to. That's what God is going to deal with you. Does that terrify you? Does me. I'm going to be real nice to you all. And when we do that, we actually are examples of what God is. It is by our love for one another that people will know that we are his disciples. So if you are his disciple and you don't love the other person, guess what? Something's wrong. Change your mind or he's going to sharpen the sword. The Lord chastens those who he loves and disciplines every son who he receives. My mom did it to me. It was the best thing she could have done for me. To this day, I so deserve that. I still look back in shame of what I did. Like, oh my gosh. I did some other things, but I'm not going to tell you about those. (laughs) So let's pray. Father, as these psalms again are dealing with the personal things of David, they are dealing with the events in his own life, the the betrayals, the hurts, the, the tragedies, and later on even some of the great things that happened. But Lord, as these things are taking place in his life, they are examples to us in our life. May we fall on the right side here May we be people who are not betraying. May we be people that aren't using people. May we, even as David say, recognize that if we deal with an ally in this way, if we deal with a person, a brother, a sister, a friend, in a way that's unjust, if we use them, deal with us. Because it's not right. And may we not use the name Christian as a cloak for our unrighteousness. May we not use the scripture as a way of defending our selfishness. May we not use the Bible to belittle people or to get what we want. Lord, how we treat others, you have said, is how we will be treated by you. May that haunt us in a healthy way. May we recognize that if we do what's wrong, we are conceiving evil. That if is so important. And so as we leave here this morning, Lord, what is that if going to look like? What are we going to do? If we do what's right, we will get the benefits. If we treat others in a way that is wrong. We will deal with the consequences. Even now, you are sharpening the sword, you are bending the bow, you are stringing it. And Lord, your arrows will pierce. And maybe that's what's necessary to get our attention, turn us around. Lord, I pray we do turn around and represent you accurately and fully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.